0: The project. project,
1: Learn. learn, live, 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 Live. On today's show, we are joined by Adam of Mind Pump Media and special guest for us, Maddie. And I actually first met through some Mind Pump Facebook chat groups, so we brought Adam out today. He has built up an amazing podcast and business with a few of his friends that's just exploded into the top fitness podcast in the states and. We get into some bits about the business side of it, what your financial health kind of has to do with the physical health. And we also get into the world of bodybuilding and group coaching. What else?
0: Oh my God. It was like knowledge bomb left and right. I freaking love this episode. i a huge fan. I think we conceptualized from Mind Pump, so to speak, trying to just bring out good knowledge. And Adam came on dropped knowledge bombs left and right talked about steroids talked about how it's rampant over there over here and kind of compared both sides of it i thought it was an awesome show
2: yeah we got some really really good insight from him about the business side of things which i think was the core element of it just understanding basically mind pump is a business in the fitness industry as well which is like we talk a lot about social media businesses and growing from nothing and actually mind pump did exactly that just trying to provide good quality value in education and I think it was cool that he debunked a little bit the Instagram stuff and like your follower to
0: like ratio and everything and how that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. When he talked about the business side of things and how they grew organically and slowly, I think that's like a lesson, especially for all the new podcasts that are coming out. And they think they're like, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to do this and make millions of dollars in the first year. Like, great episode.
1: Yeah. Slow growth was definitely the way when it comes to the business and also when it comes to the fitness and health goals. I so, think he touched on a lot of great tips
0: with that. So enjoy everybody. Fighting. All this and more in today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Project. And in today's episode, we're joined by none other than Adam Schaefer from Mind Pump. It is the leading fitness podcast, I would say, in the United States and possibly even globally. They have an amazing show. It's funny as hell. And you get a lot of good content out of it. On top of that, they also have Mind Pump TV on YouTube. And they have some of the best programs that you can find from performance-based to movement-based. And Meg, you can chime in on this too if you want from the movement perspective. But Mind Pump, Adam, thanks for joining us, dude. Really appreciate it. So, dude, one of our questions was, I think Liam could lead the way with this one.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I haven't listened to Mind Pump as much as the other two guys have. Like, when I started to get into podcasting, I was getting listened to a lot of Barbell Shrugged and these kind of things. But these guys are huge, huge, huge advocates of Mind Pump. And I hear a lot about it through these guys. But it'd be really interesting for a lot of the people who haven't heard about you and the Mind Pump and the rest of the guys, how you actually got started. And like, what's your background? Where did you come from to get where you are today?
3: Well, there's three hosts and then there's Doug. So there's four owners of the company. And when we first started, we really didn't know each other. I mean, Justin worked for me almost 10 years ago as a personal trainer. He was actually like my right-hand man and assistant. So him and I had a relationship and we're friends and we're actually working on a project together. And Doug and Sal had known each other for almost as long. Doug was a client originally of Sal's. And so that's how they originally got together. And they were working on a project. And Sal and I got connected via Facebook because of mutual friends, and for many years, I'd heard about Sal. Just, he was a top performer in a company that we both worked in. So all three of us at one point worked for 24 Hour Fitness. But 24 Hour Fitness, those that don't know, is a massive company. I mean, there's thousands of uh, fitness professionals that work there. So you could work there for 15 years and never meet everybody that works for the company. So it wasn't strange that Sal and I worked even in the same city, and never really met each other because of how big the company was. But we knew of each other because of we were top performers. And the company used to track, like they used to have what they called a PPR, which was a personal production report that you would get every month. And if you were a top performer that was up in the top five or top 10 people in the company, you tend to see the same names kind of pop up all the time. And Sal was consistently up there with myself. And so we knew of each other. And we had mutual friends that would constantly be like, you guys got to meet, you guys got to meet. And we didn't really cross paths until we both actually left the company, went off to do other things. And then we got kind of connected on Facebook and we got connected originally. The the original connection between us is kind of funny because I was going through a transition in my career where I actually took a two-year hiatus from fitness to start up two of the first medical marijuana facilities in the Bay Area. And I really had no like marijuana background before that. It was just an opportunity that a client of mine had offered me. And it was kind of a no-brainer because I saw where the industry was going. So this is like, we're talking six, seven years ago now, maybe longer now, that he gave me this opportunity to run his facilities. And that's what he reached out to me. He saw my leadership skills and how I ran my clubs and offered me this incredible opportunity to go run these cannabis clubs that I actually, had when I first got into it, knew absolutely nothing about it. So like anything else, when I'm getting into something, I was like diving deep into everything about marijuana. And at the same time, Sal was going through his mother-in-law was dying of cancer. And so he was doing a lot of research on the benefits of marijuana. And that was kind of actually what originally connected us. And a lot of people don't know this because we don't share that part of the story that often, but him and I were like going back and forth and talking about kind of the science. And it was like, man, this is interesting. I was really interested in him because that time I didn't know a lot of other fitness professionals that were like also marijuana advocates. It wasn't common 10 years ago. And to meet somebody that wasn't a pothead, that was a health and fitness person, but then also saw the benefits of cannabis for certain cases. And so we started to really talk back and forth. And it got to a point where I actually got really tired of the marijuana industry and I wanted to leave it. I I wasn't fulfilled. I'd reached a place financially that I thought I always wanted to be at and found myself in a place where... I wasn't as happy as I thought I would be. And I had really missed health and fitness and knew that I wanted to be back in the industry. And I thought, okay, well, this is a great opportunity because I'm in a place now financially where I can kind of build whatever I want and take my time and get myself back in. And at the same time, I see what's happening in social media. Instagram is just coming on the scene. You're hearing of people with Facebook businesses that are building these million dollar companies off of social media. And so I'm very fascinated by this. At the same time, Sal and Doug are together and they are building Maps Anabolic, the very first program that we eventually release years later. And Sal sends me over all of it so I can take a look at what him and Doug have put together. And he just wants my opinion. And by the way, we're still communicating just Facebook. We haven't even really met in person yet. And he sends it over to me. And at the exact same time, I'm like right in the middle of like turning my Instagram on with the intentions to building a business around it. And he sends it over. And I'm unbelievably impressed by the marketing behind it that him and Doug have started to do, the programming design behind it. And I'm like, we have to get together. We need to meet. And we did. We got together and I invited Justin to come along because him and I were working on an app project at the time. And I wanted him to meet Sal and Sal brought Doug because he wanted to introduce Doug to us. But it really was kind of Sal and I originally connecting But we brought both of our like partners at the time to meet and the four of us all got together in my living room and it was just absolute fire. I mean, to this day, I believe Katrina still has this conversation recorded on some iPad that she has laying around somewhere. But it was like four hours of just verbal diarrhea, just back and forth. (laughs) And, And you know how this is, right? When you meet somebody, when your values align with them and you have a lot in common and we just... Everyone is just hitting it off and just talking back and forth. And, and Doug pipes up at one point and he's like, we should put this on a podcast. And at that time too, I just kind of dabbled into listening to podcasts. And I know I'm like, I'm tech retarded. So I don't know how to turn on my computer. So I think that creating a podcast has got to be like this huge production thing that you have to have a massive company to do. And Doug's like, nah, I have all the equipment. We could totally put it together and let's put this out here. Because Doug comes from a different perspective because he was the client. So he's listening to three of us talk and he's like, this is gold. People need to hear this information. He's like, I've been in fitness and working out and reading and learning about fitness for decades. And this is not the message that is being presented. And you guys need to do this. And so we all kind of looked at each other and we're like, all right, fuck it. Let's do it. Let's put it out there and let's see see if we got something. So when we really started Mind Pump, it wasn't like this grandiose vision of we're going to build this massive multi-million dollar company and it's going to do this and that. And it wasn't like that at all. It was three fitness guys and a guy who has a lot of experience with production and did that as a hobby. Doug was into photography and videography and loved all the tech side. And it just was this beautiful mix of four dudes with a lot of the same values. And we led with giving foot first, which is let's put all this free information out there and let's see how many people enjoy it. And it really did. And it didn't like blow up overnight. It's been like this five-year gradual climb, month over month, year over year, And we didn't really market and advertise the pot. We didn't even really start marketing and advertising the show until just this last year. We didn't hire a marketing team until a year ago. So up until that point, the show has completely grown organically just from people listening to it, taking the advice, and then sharing it with other people. And that was really the magic behind Mind Pump was we were providing so much value to people that it was just growing and being shared and shared. And one thing that I think that we did that was Really smart by us was even though we had a digital product to sell and make money, we chose not to sell anything. We agreed that, of course, all of us are entrepreneurs by heart and wanted to build a business at this point, but we weren't money hungry to where we needed it. We all had businesses outside of Mind Pump and we were doing Mind Pump as like a side project. So we didn't want to taint it with as soon as we got our first thousand people listening to us, let's just try and sell them something. So we avoided even marketing Doug and Sal's MAPS Anabolic program until about a year and a half later. It's about around... I forget if we were at 200 episodes or exactly where we were at when we first started selling it. But we knew it was time when we got to a point where literally every day, one of us, if not all of us, would have DMs and emails from people trying to give us money. They had listened to 100 episodes and it changed their life and or it helped somebody else in their family. we had added so much value to the current listener base that they were trying to donate to the cause. They wanted to see us get traction. They wanted to see us get bigger. They knew that our message was pure and right and was helping so many people that people were starting to like get mad at us that we didn't have a Patreon or that we weren't selling something so they could help the cause. And that was kind of when we all looked at it like, okay, it's time now. It's getting to a point where people are trying to give us money and none of us wanted to do that. We had no desire to take on a Patreon and just get free money. We had a product that we could sell and deliver to people. And we did. We wrapped it, got it going and launched it with our first awful website. We're on our third one now. And the first one was basically designed just to convert leads. It was not sexy whatsoever. Nobody was falling on that website and buying. It was only people that were already fanatical about the show and wanted to buy from us that were converting. And that's kind of how we did it. We turned it on, and it took about another year after that before it was producing enough revenue that the four of us could leave our current day jobs and pour everything into this. And then I guess the rest is history. And then there's a lot of things that we've built and done since then that you guys could ask me about. But that was literally how everything started.
1: That's amazing. Like you touched on a couple of good things with that because I think the point where you had reached where you had enough money, like you said, financially, you kind of hit that goal. And there was this feeling of like not being fulfilled by what you were doing. And I think that's an important message right there. But also kind of relatable, I guess, of where I'm at right now. It's just like there's opportunities and things that come up and you kind of have to look at like, is this something that's pulling me closer towards my dream and what I want to do? Or is this something that's kind of pulling me away from it based on whatever experience I've had in the past? And so I think it's cool that, like you said, it all just kind of lined up at the right time for you guys to hit the ground running with it.
3: Yeah, it's amazing how... I ask myself this all the time, like, if I would go back and sit down with 20-year-old Adam and drop all this wisdom on him that, hey, you know, one day, kid, you're going to make that money that you always wanted to make and you're going to find out that you're going to feel, and I don't want to say empty because I don't think I was like depressed over having lots of money. I think I didn't have a lot growing up and so that was a major driver for the first half of my life was to be financially successful. And because I saw how much turmoil it caused my family growing up, I was pretty adamant about that. I was not going to build a family or build a life where money was going to be stressing me all the time and causing turmoil in my life. And so I don't know if even older, wiser Adam could come back and tell me it's not all what you think it is, because I think I had to go through that myself. But it was for sure one of the biggest learning lessons and probably the most pivotal moments in my life was to reach that number that everybody had in their head and get there and realize that like, oh, wow, there's so much more to life in the sense of being fulfilled that it's not just money. And in fact, when I reflected and looked at all the things in my life at that time, I was in the worst shape of my life. I had just broken up with a recent girlfriend. I had a falling out with like two of my really close friends. And I was doing something that I really didn't enjoy doing. I mean, I would pass up money all the time because I just didn't like what I was doing. I mean, "Uh, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to get up and do that today. Like, I don't need it. And pass up on large sums of money because I was so unfulfilled with the marijuana industry and the people I had to work with. So that's cool. And I think that Sal, Justin, and Doug, even though our stories are all really different, we all kind of went through similar stuff that when Mind Pump was built, it really was built on the integrity of all these men and their stories that they went through previously and probably would have never worked if we would have all got together at 22 years old, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, totally. Different mindset. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So when you throw it back into your fitness career, what made you really make the switch and just kind of say, okay, I'm done with the fitness life. I want to get out of this and go into the marijuana industry.
3: Money, money for sure. It was so much money that I left. I loved fitness. I always have loved fitness. And I was almost at 10 years into 24-hour fitness. And I had a six-figure job and 401k and benefits. And i had made a name for myself in the company. So I really came and went as I pleased. And so I had a really good situation. And I really loved working in the gym. It was just a fun environment for me. But I definitely wasn't where I wanted to be financially. And I always used to say like, I had offers from clients all the time to leave to do like sell insurance and do stuff. I was never interested in making a little bit more money than what I was making. Like you would have to offer me quite a bit more money to get me away from what I was doing because I actually really enjoyed it. And it was a ridiculous amount of money that he offered me. It was four times more than what I was currently making. And... The way I looked at it was, okay, I don't know anything about marijuana. In fact, at that time, which if you've been listening to the show for a long time, it's kind of funny to hear me probably say is that I was anti-marijuana. I was like the kid who was like, I was a goody-goody two-shoes, Christian grown in my entire life. I didn't smoke, drink, do drugs. Like I wasn't like that at all. And when I finally experienced it in my 20s, I actually had a bad experience with it. So to fall into that industry is kind of ironic But it also made me really good at it because I came from a different perspective. I wasn't some stoner who just got into it. I was somebody purely chasing the opportunity and the money. And when I reached a point where I was making plenty of that, I realized that I was like, oh shit, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Then I really started to evaluate like my day-to-day shit and like who the people I was working with what does five years later look like for me? And I was like, it wasn't appealing to me at all. And I was like, man, I really, really miss fitness. And I was really intrigued by at that time too. So this is, we're going seven, eight years, somewhere around there. My timeline's all fucked up, but it's around that time. And I don't know if what was going on where you guys in your city or where you're at. But at this time, I'd heard of people. I've heard people are talking about, oh, you can get rich off of social media and you could build this big business. But I hadn't met anybody yet. So I had heard kind of the rumors of building an Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and building a business. But I hadn't met anybody yet until I met Taylor. And he was a young kid. He was only 23 years old. And he'd built himself a little six-figure business off of his Twitter and Facebook following. And we had lunch and hit it off right away. And I was like, finally, I met somebody who could like lay out the formula for me on what do you do to gain traction on social media to build a business. And that's what really drew me back in I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'm at a point in my life where I don't have to go work for somebody else. I could live off of my money for a while. And while I'm doing that, I could build whatever I wanted to build and build my ultimate dream job. So when I started my Instagram, this was before Sal, Justin, Doug, and all of us got together. So I wasn't quite sure what the business was going to look like. I was kind of laying the foundation though for the business, not knowing that it would turn into Mind Pump later on.
0: So, I mean, when you talk about social media, and I'm going to throw a curveball at you right now. Let's just dive right into it. I mean, it. what are some of the common misconceptions that you've seen with the growth of social media? We're in Kuwait. We're typically like five years behind you guys, right, Meg? I mean, I'd say, I'd say we're five years behind the US, so we're still lagging a little bit. But what are some of the common misconceptions you've seen with social media and within the fitness industry that you could shed some light on from the American perspective of being based over there for so long?
3: Well, there's a bunch of things. One of the first things that I pieced together really quick was the amount of followers and attention that you're getting on Instagram does not translate into how successful of a business you have. Right. So that's a major misconception that I think, even here in the States, we still have going on. So if you guys are five years, this is something that I think you can be way ahead of the curve on is people still think that if some kid has got a million followers and because he posts pictures of his Lamborghini or whatever, most of those kids that have got that large of a following, sure, by default, if you've got a million followers, you could start a t-shirt line or peddle some supplements and probably make a few hundred thousand dollars. But the thing that I think is really interesting is I know that that's not a long-term business model. It's a quick cash grab because you've got a ton of eyes on you. But if you're going to have customers that continue to come back and buy things from you and support you forever like you've got to be adding a lot more value than just looking sexy on Instagram or showing flashing your your cars and your cool stuff to get attention like that grabs the attention of a lot of 17 to 25 year olds which are by the way aren't your best buyers anyways studies show that
1: spending power there
3: yeah there isn't there really isn't so there's not a lot of value in that attention and because Instagram is this visual platform and it feeds right into the narcissism that we all kind of have. I think that that's where these lines get blurred. In the fitness space too, we're all pretty insecure. It's just kind of how it happens. And we talk about this on the show. You guys know, like, I mean, you get into it. If you're like this super ripped fit guy or girl, I haven't met one yet. I've been doing this for 17 plus years that they didn't have major insecurities that drove them to that success. So... You've got that, right? You've got already a industry filled with insecurities and body dysmorphia and poor relationships with exercise and food. And then you out comes this visual platform. And so it just feeds this vicious cycle of people chasing likes and attention versus really putting thought and effort into, if am I using this to become a popularity contest or am I using this as a platform to help build a business and... I just think that's a major misconception right now is I think we still fall in this. I like it because we're... People underestimate us because I mean, I think I have the largest following out of us at like 50-something thousand followers, which may sound like a lot to some people that are listening right now. But I mean, it's taken five years to get to that. I'm nothing compared to most people that are big names in the fitness space. But we have a very legitimate, large company that we've built. Instagram isn't a major reflection of that. It's just one piece to a big puzzle because we've been building a business for five years now that there's so much more to it than just the way we look on Instagram. So I think we overvalue the social media thing because of that, because we see all this attention and time that people are on there. I honestly don't think it's a great converter at all for revenue. It's one of the, as you'll notice, we don't ever really promote or push a lot of our Products or push a lot of our sales or anything on our Instagrams because we think it's designed for what it's titled social media. It's designed to, yeah, connect, connect and be social and interact with people. And I think another great misconception to talk about is even these people with large followings. I don't know how much you guys pay attention to this, but if you were following like a big name just two or three years ago, most of them have already started to lose a lot of traction on their interaction with. people because people are getting savvy. It's like, oh, you get all these followers, whether you bought them or you actually got them. Now, all you do is try and promote and sell some shit to us. Like That gets old really fast. And sure, some people will still hang around, but a big majority of people end up moving along because they're like, why do I want to follow this guy or girl that every other story is swipe up to buy this or picture of me taking my pre-workout to try and make 20% commission on you. like So I think that's something if you guys are five years behind that you can be ahead of the curve because that's still popular today. It hasn't even lost complete favor, but it's heading on its way out. I think more and more people are becoming savvy to it. More and more companies that are advertising or marketing on Instagram are becoming more savvy of it. I remember the first lesson we learned this way. We learned the hard way. We paid some 2 million follower Instagram booty girl the post about Mind Pump. And we paid a couple thousand dollars. It was not cheap. And we were so excited. It was like the first dollar we ever spent on advertising. We're like, okay, <laughs> we're we're most popular. Yeah, it was hilarious. You guys could just see a picture of what the four of us looked like the day it went live. We were like, at this point, we had not advertised anything. And we had a little bit of extra cash and we're like, okay, let's take $2,000. Let's find a super big person at that time who had two or three million followers and let's pay her to post. We were creative with it too. Like, this is one of these sexy booty pick girls, right? And we have her <laughs> laying on the bed and she's listening to Mind Pump on her iPad. <laughs> Shot really good. I mean, it was brilliant. I mean, we just thought we were so smart and clever. And we… That's always hey, how we listen
1: to Mind Pump. I don't
3: <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, we sit there and we're all just like, Doug's got the libsyn up and we're watching the downloads and we're like waiting for like all this website traffic and like crickets. Nothing. <laughs> I don't think we got a single follower or listener from that post. And it was really eye-opening on like, wow, just because these people have all this attention doesn't mean they have a lot of authority and pull and influence. So again, another misconception. There's so many of these. We could probably spend a whole podcast talking about Instagram and all the misconceptions. We uh, could I did a podcast this.
1: on that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Did you? I, I bet. I mean, you could. We could sit here and talk. I mean, I could talk to you two hours, all the lessons that I've learned and what I've pieced together. And I think the best thing to take away to bring it all full circle or close this loop is that it's social media. It is not a great tool to try and sell and market. And even if it has been for some people or it was when you first started, it eventually will go away because a majority, I would say at least 80 to 90% of the people on there are on there for social reasons, to interact with people. So use it for for that reason. Communicate with your people, answer your comments, talk to your people in your DMs, get out there and talk to other people that are in your industry and communicate. We use it like that to interact with our audience and with our potential audience of someone who maybe has never listened to Mind Pump. And that is where you use it. It's not a great resource to try and sell people things on. And I think that's a big mistake.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point. Because if you think about, especially the interacting and the comments and using it to connect, like sharing the stories 100%, that's going to be, people are going to get to know you, like you, trust you. And then that's where your further interactions of eventually when you want to sell them something that's going to come from. But like, just imagine if you saw someone out in public and they smiled at you and said hi or said like, Oh, I really like that post you did the other day about this and had something like valuable to contribute to it. And your response was just like a smile back or a thumbs up or something. Like I always think about that when someone just responds with like the little like heart or just like an emoji. When right. someone's trying to like interact with them, I'm like, connect with that person. They're trying to talk to you. Like they found that valuable. Like
3: It's so funny. That's a great point you're making. And I use the analogy of because I've been an entrepreneur for a long time now and 15 years ago, if you had a brick and mortar place and you literally just turn the open sign on and it's day one of your business, I mean, you would be fucking thrilled for one person to walk through that door. And how would you act? Would you like hide in a corner and ignore them? Or would you just kind of give them a wave and then walk away? Like you would so interact and engage and talk to them because that is your one and only lead (laughs) that you have. We're so spoiled in this ability to connect to so many people so fast that we don't value the few people that we may have that are actually engaging and talking to us. And I think it's a big mistake that people make when they do that. I mean, even myself, like I made some of that mistake when I first was building it and I didn't think about it like that. And That's now how I've come to that is like, oh, wow, you know, it is like that. If I'm turning this on for business reasons and to engage with potential customers, like what the heck, what am I doing not speaking to these people? Even if they're not asking a buying question, doesn't mean I shouldn't be engaging. And so, yeah, that's something that we pride ourselves on, all of us. And I think we've gotten to be known as these guys that really do do their best to try and answer. It's gotten to a point now and it was inevitable that we would. Like, I can't get to every DM. I probably have 400 unopened DMs right now. And as soon as I answer 100 of them, 120 come in. So it's just, it is impossible now for me to do it. So I try to that point, when I do my q and I don't know if you guys pay attention when I do my questions. Nudes on a Uh,
0: firewall, man. Nudes on a firewall. That was my question. I don't know if you remember it, but I asked you, how can you make money off of a podcast without programming? You're like, sell nudes on a firewall. So, I, (laughs) yeah, dude. So, like, when you you said that, I was like, oh, that is awesome. I was cracking up and part of it was Uh, like, So, that
3: was like, um, first of all, I saw when that option first came up on Instagram. I saw how people were using it. I thought there was a better way. I thought this was a Great opportunity for me now that I couldn't get to all of my DMs. How do I give more of myself back to my current audience? And I thought, okay, well, once a week, and that's all I do it. I do it once a week, but it takes fucking four or five hours of my day. Like, I don't get to all of them. I've always tried to get to all of them. And I get to a good chunk of them. I really do. And I feel like that's kind of my way of like, hey, I recognize that I can't get to all my DMs anymore. But what I'm going to start doing is slotting off this day where I'm going to just answer as many questions as fast as I possibly can to give back. And then also to give you a taste of my personality, I think it's a good opportunity for you to get to kind of know me. Shit, I just did an interview. Someone interviewed me last week or the week before. And it was really cool actually to hear him say this. And he's like, oh, I I never listened to podcasts. I didn't know who anybody else was. I found you from your Q&A. And he goes, I was so curious if your personality was really like your Q&A, and he's like, dude, you're 100% the same person. He's like, it's so cool. And that's how you hooked me in. And he goes, now I listen to the show and I love it and everything else. But he says, I fell upon your Instagram from your Q&A. And I'm like, that's rad. Because that's exactly how I wanted it to be used is a way for me, answer as much, give back, and then also give you a little bit of my personality and who I am and be as authentic as I possibly could.
2: So what are one of the kind of the most common questions you get in your Q&As?
3: The most common? Yeah. That's a good question. You know, what's cool is I actually really like that I get a really just an eclectic bunch of freaking random questions. I mean, people love to ask me almost anything. I'll be honest, I get I've seen, seen than... Mardi
2: ask some, w- some questions in your Q&A. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine most of the random With ones the come qua, from him. Yeah, he saw one of the quad qua questions. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't afraid yeah, yeah, of my I d- questions. <laughs> I do. I get, I get
3: some… Now I get a lot of business questions… That's probably muddy so as get, well.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think most of the questions come from muddy. They nah, might even was, be from random Instagram accounts as well. He's got a few different ones. No, nah, I, I, <laughs> I just got the one, man. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, those. I get a lot of those. I know, I love those. Those are actually my favorite to actually answer and talk to. I get bored of all the like. Fitness science questions. I like, I defer to Sal on that. I'm like, he likes to talk about all the nerdy studies and stuff like that. And he's been brilliant at it. So I typically, when my people are asking me those questions, I'm like, defer to Sal's fucking Instagram. He loves to talk about all that stuff, but I love to talk business like what we're talking about right now. I love talking about the misconceptions of Instagram and social media and how to build a business to this scale and what's it like scaling. Like, I love all of that stuff. I would say I get a majority of that, but people do a pretty good job of asking me a lot of random shit. I get some sports stuff too because they know I listen to sports or watch sports. So yeah, I get all kinds of
2: stuff. Is there one big question, maybe like a big question or a big misconception about the fitness industry that you get asked a lot?
3: Um, I don't know if there's a single question. If I were to try and put my finger on like what I think the biggest misconception with the fitness industry is, is I think that kind of to my point I was making about large following and automatically assuming that these people are making a lot of money. There's also the same misconception that if you have a large following and you're fit and you're ripped, that you know what the fuck you're talking about. That's probably the biggest misconception, which especially at the beginning, I think we came off a little bit almost like, We were hating on that. And I never want to come off as I'm hating on those people because I'm not angry at that. For me, the way my business mind works is I was excited about that. It opened up opportunity for authentic, real, intelligent people to come in and provide a lot of value. So I don't look at it and like... When I see some dumb guy who's got a million followers because he looks amazing with his shirt off, giving terrible fitness advice, I don't get angry about it. I go like, oh, wow, there's still lots of people. There's a million people following this guy and they probably don't know who Mind Pump is. So there's still a lot of people out there I can help. Yeah, it's a positive thing. And I think it's important for those of us that are trying to put good content out that we're careful with that. We're not trying to put people down or hate on somebody else. It's like, hey, first of all, they're doing something right that they've got the attention of a million people. So instead of like looking at it like that, like what are some of the things that they're doing that I can learn from and then just provide more value? And honestly, we learned that. We learned that these people have entertainment value, whether it be they're selling sex because the way they look or they're doing things like Bradley Martin or he's jumping on cars or doing crazy feats. Like What those people are really good at is grabbing the attention of people through entertainment. So... That's the secret sauce behind Mind Pump is how do we engage these people in an entertaining fashion and then we drop really good information and science and add value to their lives. That was the formula. It's like, okay, let's take from a lot of these knuckleheads that are providing terrible information. What are they doing really well? Okay, well, they're entertaining people really well. Well, fuck, none of us were professional entertainers. None of us were in comedy. None of us were this, but we were all very different. We have personality And so we do our best to provide an entertaining platform that has a ton of value with it. And that really is the secret sauce behind Mind Pump. It's what keeps people coming and back every single day to listen to more and read more and download more content because you know that anytime you listen to a show, maybe you'll be entertained a lot and then for sure you're going to get some value add no matter what. So it's kind of like this look, I'm going to listen. I mean, every day I get something new from these guys. and, And you know what? Every once in a while, they make me laugh really hard. That is really the secret sauce. And that formula is pieced together by us looking at our industry and our space, recognizing where all the attention is, which is on these people that are providing purely entertainment. And then the education and the science is garbage. And so, okay, how can we provide the really good information and wrap it in an entertaining way?
0: Oh man, you guys also have a lot of integrity, too, in terms of when it comes to podcasting and the information that you're giving out and the guests you guys have on your show. And I mean, I think that's something that is completely... Dude, you don't see it in social media. There's little to no integrity with some people out there. So that's what I gravitated me towards you guys is there's a level of integrity that you've always dealt with. And how hard is it, man? I mean to keep that integrity and to keep that, okay, I'm not going to sell out. That's a question I've always had. Like, how have you guys not sold out? Now, (laughs) You know what I mean?
3: And honestly, I think I'd be lying if I said that we would have done things probably different at 25. Backing up to earlier in my story, the kid who was chasing money, like whether you're a religious person, you believe in God or just karma or serendipity or whatever, like for sure, it's magical that, we all came together and we met when we did. It was important that we had the experiences in our lives before because I for sure probably would have chased money when we could have, because a lot of people don't know this, but we could have taken sponsors and started getting money from supplement companies like really early on. Like as soon as we started to get any sort of traction, we had opportunity and we entertained it. Like we took meetings. We went back and forth with Cellucor for a long time and a bunch of other small name. I'd say Cellucor is probably one of the biggest people that we turned down early on. But these companies were offering us at that time a lot of money because we weren't making any money. And we all met and talked and we all just agreed. We just said we didn't start this because of trying to make a fuck ton of money. We agreed that even if, yes, we all use supplements occasionally, we all agree it's not the right message and it's not what we want to send because we know that the thousands of people that we've trained no client ever came back to me like, man, Adam, thank God you got me on those branch chain amino acids, creatine and glutamine. I would have never seen the results. I mean, we've never changed a single life because of supplements. So why would we lead with marketing that and selling that early on? So again, a lot of it has to do with where we're at in our lives. I think we were blessed that we found each other later on and we were mature and we'd gone through that. And it's funny when you finally get to a place in your life when you aren't chasing just that and you actually care about providing value and you care which I think all of us we want to give more than we take and when you lead with that it's amazing we're making more money than we ever have in our lives and it's so funny like nobody cares about that piece no I shouldn't say that nobody cares we all care about that piece it's what feeds our kids and our pays our bills and stuff but it's not the thing that leads all of us like we don't go oh wow we got to do this opportunity because we can get paid all this money it's never like that it's always like Yeah, totally. And so I think that's where the integrity comes from is, and a lot of us too, like I know I wasn't the best guy in my early 20s. I know Sal feels the same way. Justin, none of us were perfect humans at all. We're completely flawed. We're just at a place in our life now where we've learned from a lot of our lessons and we're in a position that we can give back and we're rewarded for it greatly. And it's so awesome now. Like that's why we're doing a lot of these live events. It's, man, when we get to get out there and we get to meet uh, the people that listen to the show, it's so cool to see the response from the people and what we're doing. And man, that fills our cup more than any big financial day that the business drives. So that's where everybody's at in their life. And because our core values are all aligned, it's not hard for us to have a lot of integrity. Now we do have moments where business opportunities come and we go, wow, that's a lot of fucking money. Should we do this? But we all get together in a room and we hash it out. And when we hash it out, it always gets comes back to our core values. And if it doesn't align with our core values on how we built this business and why we built this business, we pass on it. We just bottom line.
1: What are the core values? I'm leading a workshop on core values next month. So I love that topic. So I'm curious to know what your guys' core values are.
3: Authenticity and integrity are the first two. Yep. So that's extremely important to us. That's a big mission statement for us is that we want to be able to give more than we take. And when we sit down... In these meetings, this is actually something that we're going through right now is during the scaling process and adding more and more people to the team is like, okay, wow, the four of us have always had these core values. Now we're trying to implement it into the team and staff and become part of their vocabulary. Now we did, I think, a good job of staffing and hiring people that have the same integrity and are authentic. I think that we've done a good job of that, but it's what we're having to do now is actually make it more of a, a mantra that everybody on the team is remembers that because it's now got to a point where the business has grown so much that we're divided in these subcategories. There's a team of people that completely handle all what's going on in the YouTube. Like a YouTube video will go up now and I didn't even know what it was going to be. But that's because I've put people in the position that all of their values align with our values. They know what can and can't go up there And they do an incredible job of making sure that it aligns with everything else that we're doing and then it goes up there. So it's now got to a place where we've grown that much that, okay, it's now really important that everybody is not only aligning with our core values, but they're also kind of preaching that to all the people underneath them because that's where things can get out of control really quick when you're building something to this scale is as you scale up, is making sure that everybody aligns with that. That's awesome. Especially
1: in scaling, you see that in a lot of big companies, they'll have like core values listed, but it doesn't always get trickled down within like the personalities and stuff that they hire. So it's cool that you guys make the effort to make sure that that's happening.
3: Yeah, it's a major conversation right now. I mean, we finally get to that place where we we have that many people that we're working with and underneath us that it's necessary. <laughs> it wasn't just two years ago, but now we're like going like, oh shit, like there's actually stuff happening within our business every single day that we don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a whole customer service team. There's a whole marketing team. There's a whole partnership team. There's a whole YouTube team. And so... I mean, that's a lot of stuff going on and the amount of content that we produce and put out there, it's now got to the point where we could actually, potentially could lose touch with the people on the front line. And so we get together all owners and we talk about this like, hey, we're now at a point where we actually are. We're getting a little sign thing made with all the core values put up on it that we can put in there. And that's something that we're trying to implement with the team meeting is talk make sure that we keep revisiting that. So, and that's new for me because everything that we I've built previously before a mind pump, I either one was working within a company that had already established things like that or two, all the business that I'd done before, I didn't have a staff of people to this, scale that we built from ground zero. So, you know, this is all part of the learning curve that Mind Pump is going through currently right now.
1: That's awesome. I love that you guys share the process on it.
0: So dude, can we shift gears a little bit into the fitness industry and just hit yeah, on yeah. that a little bit and get into some of the fitness questions? What are some of the trends that you guys are seeing over there right now compared to here? I mean, right now, I think Liam and Meg, I think you guys could agree like, the class thing is really big right now and personal training and is that still the same over there or what are some of the trends that are picking up right now
3: okay so some of the big trends that I see right now online coaching is blown up out of nowhere right in the last five years that that really didn't even exist I mean it existed but it wasn't as prevalent as it is now I mean it's everywhere I now get a lot of questions around this all the time where someone DMs me and they're like what's your best advice to becoming an online trainer and I engage I talk to them and they're like they've never Never trained a client before and they're about to get into online training and coaching. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. It's this space has grown so much that just random people are getting fit or getting a certification and then going right into coaching people virtually. And I'm like, that's crazy to me. So that is blowing up. What else? Oh, the keto diet is massive right now. I mean,
0: that's
3: that's the number one diet that's being downloaded. And you guys know because you've been listening to the show for a long time. You remember, what, two, three years ago, wherever it's been. It was a while we...
0: back. A while back, you guys talked about keto and selling keto oh, yeah. pills and all that crazy yeah. stuff, dude. I, I know. That was, nuts a, good, that see... was a good episode.
3: <laughs> it's nuts to see where it is, right? I mean, it, we talk about this all the time, too. That, like, I think we do a good job of sounding like we can… See the future, but it's just we've been in this industry for so long. And you can see the writing on the wall when it gets here, like, you know, oh wow, this is going to be the next big thing. Like everybody's gonna keto this, keto that. Why? Because what happens in the fitness industry is this: it's almost the exact same formula. Enough good science and information comes out to support some modality, some diet, some new pill or supplement, whatever. Like enough good research comes out to support it. And it's really unfortunate this happens because. I'm very pro-CBD. I think there's lots of great health benefits to the ketogenic diet for certain people. There's a lot of cool things. The creatine's amazing. Like, these are all great things that science supports like the positive benefit. But what we do is we take that and we just bastardize the shit out of it by turning it, you know, putting it in cereal and doing whatever with it and then making it the end all be all because it's a way for people to monetize it. It turns into this thing where it's so much more than what it really is. It's like, yes, CBD is great and it has its places. And even us, we partnered with a CBD company. And I remember when we partnered, we were so excited when we started working with Ned, and I remember telling the boys, like, you know what sucks is what's going to happen is this is going to be so big. Here we started telling people the the health benefits of it, how we use it. And then now it's going to turn into a thing where like everybody is doing it. And it's like, then everybody needs to have it. And it's like, it's not that. I don't take CBD every single day. Like I wouldn't. And nor do I think if your goal is to lose 30 pounds, like that's anywhere on the top 100 list of things to add into your diet. So that's something that I think that we see right now a lot in the fitness spaces and we have forever. It's good science comes out to support something and then we pour it out to everybody and make it into the next best thing. And it's unfortunate because the things that really make the biggest difference in your health and wellness journey, and that including in performance or aesthetics and bodybuilding, like the things, the big rocks been around for a long time. It's the same ideas of big compound lifts and understanding a, caloric balance and finding a good macronutrient uh, profile or balance for yourself and your goals and making sure that you have a healthy, strong metabolism. I mean, all these things have been around forever that we've known. And what happens in fitness is new science comes out to support something new. It's just humans, we gravitate towards novelty. So we all want to have this excuse to why we're not in the best shape of our lives or we're not super healthy. And we all want to believe that science is going to show us some new diet or some new pill or some new thing that is the answer to why I'm not healthy or I'm not in shape or whatever. And the truth is that there's not going to be anything. Well, I shouldn't say. Who knows where the fuck we're going to evolve to. But the likelihood that we're going to have something come out that is going to be game changer for you that is the answer to why you weren't healthy and fit before is just ridiculous. It's not going to happen. It's ha- habits, behaviors, relationships with food and exercise. Those are the areas that need to be worked on and that's what's really going to change your life. Searching for the next latest greatest thing that science proves has some health benefits is not going to do jack shit for you. And that that's the biggest, I think, hurdle or problem with the fitness space is that is Been that way forever. I don't know. Mind pump's got to get really fucking big, man. We got a long ways to go if we're gonna get to a point where that goes away. Because currently, still, there's massive companies that make tons of money off of pushing products and things like that. And I don't know. And so we just hope to be a light in this space. Whether we get big enough to completely change it, obviously, that's our crazy goals that we all think that we can actually shift the entire industry. But that's the biggest problem with it is that. We're always trying to find a way to make money off of people versus
0: teaching them the things that I think that will
3: really help and change their lives. So, what
0: do you think about Kuwait right now being like kind of the mecca for bodybuilding in terms? I mean, I would love to go over there. Well, <laughs> hopefully, we'll bring you I, over sometime. Like that's the goal of the project, Kuwait—to bring some of the greatest <laughs> minds in the world to Kuwait. I, we, you know? it wouldn't be hard,
3: it wouldn't be hard to convince us that some that's an area that we actually have talked about. So. When we originally started talking about, we talked about Kuwait a few years ago. I remember when I first started seeing some of the pro bodybuilders that were coming out of there, and I remember off air, especially Sal and I, because we're a little obviously we care a little bit more about the bodybuilding world. Justin doesn't give a fuck, but Sal and I, <laughs> Sal and I would be like, "You see this dude? Look at him, bro. He he put on fucking twenty pounds in three months out in Kuwait. Like, what the fuck are they giving them out there?" So we assumed that it was like. A new drug had released or these guys were doing something on the pharmaceutical side that is just we don't know about yet or that they have figured out over there. And I got a chance to... Ben Pekulski is a really good friend of ours. And Ben and I were hanging out one day. I think this was when we were hanging out in Tahoe together. And I was telling him about this, about Kuwait. And we're like, dude, what? He's like, no, no. He's like, I've been out there. He goes, honestly, dude, he goes, it's because it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. He goes it really is very conducive for the most optimal setting for bodybuilders. I mean, they eat, sleep, lift, and they got great pharmaceuticals. He goes, you know, the pharmaceuticals are great there, but he goes, it's, they're not any different than what I can get, he says. He goes, it's really just, they have this, the facilities there are amazing. It's like, you can show up there with that team. What team is it? I forget the name. Oxygen.
0: Uh, Oxygen. Yes. Oxygen, gym. Yeah, they're unbelievable, dude. It, it,
3: Right so he talks about oxygen how I guess it's all in one big massive building you can get your food in there they can sleep there they can train there everything I don't know this is me
2: talking to you from No it's third cool person Liam here. goes there the most I mean it's what four floors the new one yeah, it's pretty much four floors. You've got like a legs floor. You've got a back and shoulders floor. Everything. like There's <laughs> like machines there that you've never even seen before in your life. Like there's just... A, that, yeah, that's what he crazy. says. He
3: says it's just it's a bodybuilder's dream as far as the equipment, the access to the food, the access to the drugs. And then you put all of those guys together in a place that with all similar goals. I mean, I trained when I was competing. I was training in San Jose at what we called the NorCal Mecca of golds. and. At all times, there was like, I don't know, five to six pros that would be in the gym working out at the same time that I was uh, pretty much all the time. And just that alone is motivating as fuck. That's half of why I trained there was seeing my peers getting after it in the gym. Like It's really motivating to reach down, dig down for another set when you look over and you see a guy you might be competing with in four weeks. So that creates a really conducive environment for growth and building and Becoming a better competitor. And so, after my original speculation of thinking it was a drug thing, and then getting to talk to someone like Ben Pokolsky, who I respect a lot and value his opinion, it sounds like the really big difference is it's just they've built an incredible environment for bodybuilders where they're starting to fly over there. And yes, they have access to the best pharmaceuticals, but that's not that much of a game changer. That's how much sleep, eat, environment, culture, all those things can make an impact. And so, that's what I've pieced together. Now, if I'm wrong, I would love to hear from somebody who actually lives over there. And better, but that's what we've pieced together.
1: I'd say coming over as like an expat. I know that was a big reason for, I would say, other expats for coming over there is just that the lifestyle is a little bit more comfortable there, to where it can afford you the opportunity of like these amazing facilities, being surrounded by other people, your trainers and coaches that are kind of same mindset with you, but where you can you live in the gym all day and you can train right and eat right and sleep right. And bodybuilding specific, I'm less into that. But Liam and I, I mean, I think that's kind of like, we know that working as a coach in a facility in the UK or in the States is a lot different than coaching in Kuwait.
0: <laughs> I could imagine. And we do have the best steroids in the world. I mean, that yeah, that, so- that, that is a definite. <laughs> I mean, that is 100%. I moved back here in 2005 after college. And first thing my trainer gave me at the gym was Winstroll. He's like, oh, here you go, you know. And it was dirt cheap. Yeah, yeah, I played around with it for a while, and then I was like, "All right, this isn't for me." So I, you know, got away from it. You obviously you were a professional bodybuilder, right? Yes. So yes. now I'm sure you had to take steroids. It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight if you're trying to compete without them.
3: So yeah, yeah, no, you're not making it to the. Well, I shouldn't say that because Ari is a good buddy of mine, and he did it all the way naturally. I most certainly do not have the genetics to compete <laughs> to compete with pros without
0: drugs, for sure. <laughs> How far like, has the drug game gone in the States compared to like over here? Like over here, you go into your gym and it's widely available.
3: Oh, uh, no, that's a really good question. And that's actually, if you were, again, listening to early years of Mind Pump, a lot of my spit and fire came from that was I was blown away by the overusage of steroids. So I was a men's physique competitor. So And men's physique category came in with What I believe the intention of Men's Physique was for guys that want to bodybuild but didn't want to take steroids. So it was supposed to be this obtainable physique for the average American boy who could open up a magazine and go like, hey, maybe I could do that. Because bodybuilding over the last decade or two decades even has gotten so extreme that most 19-year-old boys that open up the magazine and look at a bodybuilder don't go like, I could be like that one day. Most of them go like, are you fucking kidding me? I can never look like that. Or the consumer now is very aware that most of these guys are hopped up on tons of steroids and they're like, I don't ever want to take steroids or take all those steroids to look like that. So I think men's physique originally started with those intentions of Let's show the best physiques out there without steroids. And it just turned into just like a minier version of bodybuilding within a very short five to seven years. I mean, I remember the very first year with the, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at the top five men's physique athletes, the first year that they they hit stage, the top five and the winner's. What's his face? Mark. God, I can't think of his last name right now. Anyways, the winner of men's physique for the first three years. That dude would not even crack the top 10 on an amateur stage now. That's how different the bodies looked. They were much smoother uh, abdominal region. The separation, striation, and vascularity just wasn't there. They looked like fit guys like a great swimsuit catalog. That's what they look like. And that's what I think it kind of intended to be. But what happened was better and better physiques kept coming. And the guy who was winning was a little more jacked, a little more lean, a little more ripped. And so I came in when I looked at it and actually said, like, I could obtain this. But I was already taking anabolics even before that. So when I was in my early 20s, I fucked around with steroids, being an idiot, like many kids that probably took the first time they took steroids. I took it really thinking that This is what separates me from all these cover of a magazine people. I was already a trainer. I already had acquired some fitness knowledge and nutrition knowledge. I was very consistent in the gym. And so I really believe that what separated me from the guy on the front cover of this magazine was just that. He's taking steroids. I'm not. If I take steroids, I'd look like that too. And I was completely fucking wrong. I took them and looked just as terrible as I did six months before I took them. And I did that a couple cycles in a row of trying before I realized like, dude, this isn't the answer that I thought it was. And not knowing anything about steroids and coming off, I just kind of came off cold turkey. And I never was the same. Like my testosterone levels, I went from being somebody who had extremely high libido and had very high testosterone levels to somebody who was borderline flatlined. I shouldn't say that because I didn't really started to notice it until I started to get into my late 20s. And then I kind of started scratching my head like, I mean, I had a beautiful girlfriend at the time and I'm like, never wanted to have sex. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like, you know what? Maybe I should go get my blood work and kind of see where my hormone levels are at. And I get it tested and I was 200 and something and I was like, what the fuck at 28 years old? So at like 29, I got on HRT. Even when I was show my before and after pictures when I was out of shape, like I was already on hormone replacement therapy. So I've been on TRT since I was 28, 29, somewhere around that age. And when I got into competing, the only difference is I just kind of bumped up my dosage. So I went from somebody who was taking about 125 milligrams every seven to 10 days to somebody taking 250 to 400 milligrams. And I slowly ramped that up because after I had been on hormone replacement therapy for a few years, I understood it. I understood too. one, it wasn't the answer because I was on it. And you wouldn't guess that I was on it when I was taking it. I was taking just enough to kind of be normal levels. And I'd already fucked with it earlier in my years and realized that just taking more of it didn't make me ripped and the buff guy that I thought it would. And so I did now know at that point in my life that diet and program design and all that was more important than the drugs I was taking. That message hasn't gotten to all the competitors. In fact, when I was getting backstage when I was an amateur, I remember like, I'll never forget. I had no coach, no team, no nothing. I was all by myself. And I remember being in the pump-up room and I peeled down for the first time. I unzipped my sweater and all the amateur guys were like, what the fuck? Who's this guy? And they all come walking over to me and they're like, who's your coach? What's your diet? What steroids are you taking? And I was like, oh, I'm taking 250 milligrams of test and I'm taking ecopoise and I'm Doing my own diet. I don't have a coaching team, and they're like, "What? That's all you take?" And why you don't have a coach? And I was like, "Yeah, well, I've been a trainer for a really long time." And so I started getting the attention of these guys, and they would start sharing with me like their team and their coach and what kind of diet he has them on. Then I'd hear their cardio regimen, and I'd hear the amount of steroids they're taking. And then I'm looking at them, and I'm going like, "What the fuck? What are you guys doing?" And then I thought at that time, I was like, "Oh, okay. This is why these are all amateurs. Maybe when I get to like the national level, we'll see something different." Well. It only took me a few shows before I took my first first place. I think it was three shows later I took first. And I wanted to wait to go to my first national show until I won my first amateur show. So I won my first amateur show. And then I went to nationals. And when I went to nationals, my buddy who was in that world was like, oh, you should go to Pittsburgh where it's a small show. You should be able to slide in. Maybe you'll get your pro card. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to go to like big one. I want to go to USA's. So I went to USA's, which is bodybuilding world or the amateur national level. It's the most prestigious show and the biggest and most competitive. And I went there with the same thing too, thinking like, oh, I'm going to get backstage. And for sure, backstage, way better physiques. Everybody's at a whole other level for sure. But when I'm asking questions around diet and cardio and steroids, like, man, the amount of steroids these guys were taking, the amount of cardio they were doing, the way they were dieting. I was like, None of it was science-based. It was literally just like throw the whole kitchen sink at yourself and grind the fuck for three months and then be shredded. And I was like, whoa. And then I thought, okay, well, again, this is the national level. Maybe that's what really separates us from the pros. And the pros are going to like, they're going to really understand this stuff. And that show, I went pro. And then went into my pro career, same story, met all these pros. Again, just lack of knowledge. Like people don't know this, but when I look now at like a bunch of pros, I have all the respect in the world for the amount of discipline that he or she has put in to get to that level. Like no doubt, no matter how smart, how dumb you are, or even how good of genetics you have, the level of dedication and commitment that it takes to reach the professional level at any Bikini, men's physique, bodybuilding, classic, doesn't matter. Unbelievable dedication for sure. But a majority of them, that's just it, is that they're really good at taking advice from their coach. They'll eat fucking tuna and mustard out of a can for eight weeks straight, nothing else. Like they have that kind of crazy discipline to do that. But I mean, how unhealthy is that? And like, how miserable is that? And, and they'll do two hours plus of cardio every single day. And like, how realistic is that? None of that stuff is realistic for the average person. All these guys and girls, the way they got to that level was just purely out of sacrifice and discipline. And they're taking copious amounts of drugs, which when you're a men's physique guy, you really don't need, even though now, like the high level guys, for sure, everybody's hopped up on gear. You still don't need to be taking a ton to look like that. If you want to get out there and compete against Rami on the bodybuilding stage, like absolutely you have to be taking grams of steroids a week. But if you're a men's physique guy, I mean, I made it all the way to the professional level and I peaked at 400 milligrams of testosterone. That was my peak. And in fact, the first time I hit that, the judges told me I was too big and I actually had to pull back on my dosage. So as a pro, I was taking about 300 milligrams of testosterone a week of testinanthate. And that was all I needed to maintain the size and get enough from the recovery for as much as I was lifting. So there's definitely a major drug culture in the bodybuilding world right now. And if you talk to like the old school bodybuilder guys, they'll talk to you about this. Like it's changed a lot. And again, I don't hate on it. I saw lots of opportunity. I saw an opportunity to teach a lot of these people like, dude, the programming and the diet is still the biggest piece. Yes, drugs let you get away with a lot of things and you can do a lot of things the wrong way because of drugs, but man, if you want this to be sustainable long-term and you don't want to be fucked up health-wise and you don't want to be on have to be on steroids for the rest of your life, there's a better way to do this. So When we were first talking on the show and early days of Mind Pump, a lot of my message was because I was in the middle of it, right? I was in the middle of, and that was all new to me. Like, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't realize that these people really, even at the professional level, didn't know what they were doing. I just assumed that if you were a pro bodybuilder, you really understood nutrition and programming really well. It's actually
0: not true at all. Wow. Wow. It's funny because that Shikanani just won over in New York a couple of days ago, right, Liam? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting how the culture is over there and it it mimics the culture over here. But I think here it kind of translates to all sports and a lot of training. I mean, it's huge within the CrossFit scene, within the weightlifting scene over here in Kuwait. I mean, Liam, you could talk about that, like the weightlifting side of things here. I mean, is it jumping into that side of things over there too? Or is it just centralized Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, man, it's prevalent everywhere. I mean, it's like we had... John Romano on the show, which was one of my favorite interviews that we did. Just a really entertaining, good interview. If you guys haven't listened to that one, you should. He talked all about this. He was part of like Venice Beach Days, Arnold steroids, and and everything like that. Like he's connected to the people that were first dealing the steroids. And he openly talks about, without giving names, that, I mean, he does all kinds of drug protocols for CrossFit athletes and professional athletes, like, it's rampant everywhere. Oh, it's wow. rarely ever, if you're on steroid at the professional level across almost all sports. So, of course, powerlifting and all your lifting sports, and, of course, CrossFit and bodybuilding. Like, it's definitely rampant. And it's to the point where it's, if you're on steroids, it's more so how much do you take and how well do you cycle off and how do you beat test. And, like, it's more about that. It's everywhere. And I think it's become so popular and that everybody knows that it's getting to the point, which I think that was a big mistake too. talk about misconceptions or mistakes that some people made. If you got into it, let's say 10 years ago or so, and you become popular from magazines or whatever, a lot of these idiots are still denying that they're on steroids. And it's like, we're so beyond that, that the average consumer is smarter than that, that it just hurts your business to tell people that you're all natural when you're not. That's just, it's so silly to do that. Some guys still try and get away with it and do it. But now you're way better off just, yes, I take steroids. This is how much or this is when or how. Like, And I knew that. I was very transparent with it. Like, I didn't advertise it and tell people, oh, this is what I'm doing. But if you ask me, like, 100%, I'll talk about it. Like, I'm not afraid to share any of that stuff because it's real. It's real life. And I wish somebody would have shared this information with me when I was in my early 20s and I really thought that it was steroids that wasn't getting me in shape. And that's what I needed to do in order to look like that. And that couldn't have been further from the truth. It's for sure, you know, diet and programming is the foundation, the pinnacle of success. And that's for all pursuits too, whether it's sports performance, drugs are not the answer to becoming great at your sport. Can it make you even greater? Of course. Can it help? Absolutely. Can it allow you to get away with doing a lot of stupid shit? Yeah, it can. But you're going to have a long road ahead of you if you don't piece together the other part, the understanding the importance of sleep and recovery and understanding nutrition and having a good relationship with exercise. Like that shit really, really matters for long-term results.
1: So we touched on CrossFit just a little bit and I know that CrossFit isn't like your main game or anything, but just kind of talking about the knowing the direction that they've gone and changing from like less of a focus on the sport and trying to do a little bit more focus on like educating doctors and on the nutrition and stuff like that. Like, have you guys seen any changes with that? I guess like being in California and kind of near the area where CrossFit did and what kind of, Oh yeah. CrossFit's really big in in Kuwait. So I'm just kind of curious what the observations are from your point of view.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, it was inevitable that they were going to stay around. They had to, the news is out. The word is out. It is not the most ideal way to get in shape and be healthy for 90 plus percent of the population. I think people are becoming savvy to that. And it was inevitable too. anything done in like a class or group setting like that is never going to be optimal for the individual. So it exploded off of that. They did an incredible job off of building great culture. And anybody who's been in the gym industry as long as like we have know that that's everything to the success of a gym is culture. I mean, we talked a little bit about that with Kuwait earlier, right? Like culture is huge with, the success of a gym. So CrossFit did an incredible job of that. And now that it's gotten to the size that it is, they're going back and they're trying to make positive changes. And I think they're doing a, a good job of trying to make it better. I don't think it'll ever be. I mean, I, you've heard me probably on the show say that I think that, which I get crucified for, but I don't fucking care. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that group training should die. <laughs> and and I just, it's very, very rare that you'll ever get two people, much less 15 or 30 people with the same goals, needing the same intensity that day. Like, it just doesn't happen. It's where training is so individualized that even the best coaches in a group setting like that, really, really hard to modify it for every single person for what is most ideal for them. But I think they're doing a good job. I think there's definitely some good coaches out there that are, modify workouts and change them. But what we talk about on the show all the time is like, well, then it's becoming less and less like CrossFit and more like real personal training. Real personal training is looking at your clientele, looking at their current level, looking at their movement. And even if you had a plan for that day of their exercises, you as a smart coach and trainer modify and change because of where they're currently at. Well, that's fucking personal training. That's not CrossFit. So what I'm seeing is CrossFit is slowly but surely becoming less and less CrossFit. And it's becoming more and more like individualized training as much as they possibly can. And that's a very smart move. In my opinion, if you're going to stay around and not just be a, a bubble or a trend like Curves, Curves at one time was one of the most popular modalities of training worldwide at one point, And that completely doesn't exist anymore. And... Uh, yeah, and
1: Orange Theory, is that kind of in the same group?
3: Absolutely. I feel the same way about Orange Theory. And them too. I mean, my good buddy is closely tied to all the owners, creators of Orange Theory. And I'm always razzing him about it being a shit workout. And (laughs) as they've grown and built so big, they've actually started to, they have an actual advisory team now of a bunch of doctors and high-level PTs that are in there that are trying to make adjustments to the programming and trying to incorporate mobility stuff. So they're doing their best to try and make it less, I guess, less taxing on the average consumer that comes in and hammers their body running on a treadmill or whatever. So, but eventually what I think all these people that gravitate to these types of classes, what they all start to eventually find out is it's not what's ideal. Because here's the thing that's crazy about Orange Theory and CrossFit and the F45, right? Like all these other great group classes is 90% of the people that take those classes that go into them are the worst candidates for them. And what I mean by that is that it's the personality that is attracted to the competitive, get-after-it, high-intensity environment are the people that need the opposite type of training, that need the longer rest periods, the heavy, the five-by-five type of training, that need to probably be working on their metabolism and feeding themselves more, that probably should be walking instead of running on the treadmill, that have high-stress jobs throughout the week that are type A type personalities, like that avatar is not ideal for that, but yet it attracts those people. So that's why I always think that like CrossFit Orange Theory, no matter what, it will eventually peak and come back down. Now, will it go completely away? I don't know. We could have that debate all day long. Like will CrossFit Forever Diet? I mean, if you're open to change as you grow and you keep evolving, if it keeps moving past CrossFit and becomes more like personal training like it is or it seems to be, then it could be a company or a business that still is around 5, 10, 15 years from now. But if they continue with the same model of what got the attention of all these people, it's inevitable that it's going to come back down the other direction. And we will see that with Orange Theory. We're already seeing that with CrossFit and Orange Theory in the States. In the States, it's plateaued. And now that's why Orange Theory and CrossFit both are exploding in like the UK and overseas because it's still not oversaturated over there and it's still trendy and new and cool. And so that market will continue to grow. But eventually once that peaks and the US has peaked, then we're going to see the other direction. Well, I've seen that. It's kind of interesting
1: because like CrossFit was how I I did have to use like the... I know like one of the worst first little communities that I kind of built over there was I had to trick the girls by basically telling them I was going to run a boot camp and then they got in there and it was, <laughs> it was like not boot camp. But I'll like slowly transition them out of that of like, this is what's not going to help you. But there's a lot of like education that had to come along in that process. And now all of yeah. them are like little, I don't know, little meatheads. They want to do like the mind pump style, like the anabolic kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really tough. It's, it's, really t- really, t-
3: it's hard to and i get it as a person who's trying to build i mean i ran boot camps myself for many years and and i know that's where i come from in a place like this like i know like i probably make a lot of trainers cringe when i say group training should die and they're like fuck you adam that's how i make my money right <laughs> and i did too so they're like i'm sure people are like you know you're an asshole you did it too for a long time and that, that's part of why i feel guilty about it and i know like i i know a lot of people want that and i know there's opportunity for business reasons to make money there. But what I know from doing it for a very long time is that those boot campers, those people that came to my classes like that, they were the typical yo-yo people. Sure, when you're coming to Orange Theory or CrossFit classes consistently for three to four months, like banging it out and like eating better, like you're in some of the best shape of your life. But then those are the same people that kind of fall off the wagon and then they're out of shape completely and then they come back and it's just this vicious cycle. And it's like what I know from being a fitness professional for as long as I've been is that the answer to long-term success for people is learning to create new small behaviors every month or every year even that are new lifelong behaviors. Like as simple as like, hey, I now always turn off all my lights and stop watching TV beyond 9 or 10 p.m. And whoa, what a difference it makes on my sleep. And that's a small habit. Or I put my blue blocker glasses on if I'm going to watch beyond 9 p.m. And wow, what a difference that makes on my sleep. And oh, wow, when I just avoid these processed foods, I tend to make better food choices, which ultimately keeps 10 to 15 pounds of body fat that I was initially putting on every year. It keeps that away from... Or oh, wow, like instead of me getting rushing in the morning and getting straight to work, I now get up an hour earlier and go for a nice walk to start my day, right? I mean... Those are the things that believe it or not as simple as they are if you can get clients to make those behavioral changes they're way more realistic to keep that going for the rest of their life and then learning to teach them how to build on that like that is like long-term success for these people it's hard i know it's hard as a trainer and a professional to to tell the people that love that feeling of burning and the sweat and the cortisol spike i mean that's why we call them cortisol junkies and that's how you explain that as a trainer to people. is like, of course you love that CrossFit workout. Of course you love that orange cereal. You get a fucking endorphin rush right afterwards and cortisol shoots through the roof. It's like taking, slamming an espresso shot right away. That same type of feeling. It feels great. And you feel accomplished because you just did it and you're drenched in sweat. Like, I get it. You also feel amazing after you do a line of Coke. Doesn't mean it's <laughs> I, Doesn't mean it's ideal for the body, right? And I know that's a really extreme analogy that I'm sure people rolled their eyes over right now, but it's, Right. Then that's how I try to explain to people like just because something feels really good initially doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy and good for you long term. So and that's the thing that's so, hard
1: as a coach, like a lot of those habits that you're talking about is they sound really easy and dull, but they're really easy not to do. And those are the things that are the game changers that make the difference. Totally. So totally. It's hard for someone coming to you and they're like, yeah, and they're already and geared up and want to do all the hard work. And you're like, okay, I need you to drink more water today. Right. <laughs> like, I, know.
0: I know, I know. I mean, I think, Adam, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. And if there's anything else you'd like to add, feel free, dude. It was great having you on and getting your perspective and also kind of sharing the Kuwaiti perspective. And hopefully we could do this again because the point of the Project Kuwait is to try and bring global experts to the forefront for the Middle East in general. You know, we've gotten some popularity in Bahrain, Dubai, thanks to Liam over here. He's got his boys out there (laughs) in Bahrain, so. (laughs) Well,
3: I tell you what, I will continue to drop in and say hi to you guys as long as you keep reaching out you guys get an extra space in my heart for being a long-term mind pump listener and being part of our forum early i love to try and support all of you guys for getting out there and spreading the good message so anytime you guys want me to hop back on you guys reach out the same way through email and they'll get you guys in the schedule and i would love to come on and talk to your audience and i hope to see you guys continue to grow and do well And then, as far as people that are listening to you that may have never listened to Mind Pump, I always lead with don't buy anything from us, provide a fuck ton of free content. Go take advantage of all that. Go to the Mind Pump TV on YouTube and watch the videos. Go to the 30 days of free coaching on the website at mindpumpmedia.com and experience that. Listen to the podcast. We have a free app, Mind Pump Media, that you can search specific topics that you want to learn about. Follow the blogs. We have three to five new blogs that go out every single week. Like, just consume all the free information that we're trying to provide and give people. And hey, if after that, you feel like you need someone to create a program or you want to follow one of our programs, you can find that on the website. But I always urge people to take advantage of all the free content first that we provide you and then go from there.
1: Love it. Thank you so much, Adam.
0: Thank you, guys. Good time. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam.